The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Thank you for being here. My name is Chase. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today of having with me two people that have the same last name as I do, which I really like. Uh, no relation except in Christ. Um, Bill and Christy Bowers, but they're not just friends. They really are heroes of mine who have been serving the Lord um, in some of the least reached places on the planet and helping others around them do the same. So would y'all please welcome Bill and Christy. Well, y'all have lived in the Middle East for a long time, so it could be uh, that people don't know you, which would be really sad. Um, so Bill and Christy, would you tell us just kind of who you are, your connection to TBC, and then what you've been doing for the last two decades? Good morning. Uh, I'm from Belton. Uh, Bill went over to Egypt and Iraq in 2000. Yes, 2000. We met and married in 2000, and we met in 2004, 2006, we went over together to Damascus, and we're there just a brief year, and have been in southern Lebanon now for 15 years, so. So Egypt, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon, some of the finest tourist destinations on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so for the last 15 years in, in Lebanon, what have y'all done, Bill? Well, we're doing pretty much what you guys are probably doing in this city, but um, we're the, the passion that God has put on our heart is we know that God the Father is working with the Spirit in the hearts of people all over the world, including places like Lebanon, Iraq, some of the least reached places. And it's really our role to join in with what he's doing. So he's working in the hearts of people. So some of the things that we're doing to try to find these people that we can walk with and disciple is uh, we have media projects. We're, we're taking care of the poor through relief and development projects to refugees and other people in need. Um, these are, we, we get together a lot and just pray, Lord, give us your heart so we can understand what's going on and, and lead us to these people that we know you're working in. Yeah, Bill, I, I remember probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you and I talking when I was a missions pastor, and I, I asked, how did God give you a heart for Muslims? And, and your response was, I don't know that God gave me a heart for Muslims, but the scripture says that we're to love our neighbors, and all my neighbors just happen to be Muslim. And, uh, but, but you have faithfully loved Muslims in your city, shared Christ with Muslims, cultural Christians, Druze in your city. Christy, I wonder just for you, what is a, what is a typical Tuesday in your village look like for you? Well, I always used to say, I just do my, my dishes in a different country. Yeah. And now I realize all American women have dishwashers, so that's not true anymore. <laughs> so um, I am a church planter in the morning and a mom in the afternoon. I have a heart for women and discipleship and discipling in a way that they can then go out and reach their neighbors and their moms and their sisters. Um, a big prayer for when we go back, the economic situation in Lebanon has left so much hopelessness. And majority of my ministry so far has been a lot with Syrian women who are refugees in Lebanon. 
and to see this next season where Lebanese women with open, open hearts. So that's a great prayer request for us to know. Obviously, Lebanon's economy has been devastated. Bill, how else can we pray for Lebanon? Yeah, um, yeah the economy has, they, by defaulting on their loans, uh, the local currency lost 95% of its value. Mm. Um, people with dollars uh, have them locked up in the bank. So just praying, this is a very crucial time for that country. Um, on top of that, there's lots of social strain. Uh, Lebanon's a country of 5 million with 2 million refugees living mm. in their borders. Um, so we're, we're praying. Um, the whole Lebanon is constantly being shaken, but this is like a new shaking. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we pray that people take advantage of, of being shaken. I mean, we don't want these difficult things for them that they're going through. But if it could be used, and we know that God is redeeming all things, and we've seen it through so many crises in our region. When, uh, just the last 12 years in Syria, just seeing thousands of Muslims come into the kingdom. Uh, we're praying that for, for Lebanon and Amen. the rest of the region. Amen. And your, your family, y'all planned on being here for, uh, you're from Pennsylvania. Could you understand y'all? Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you understand yeah. that word? Okay. Uh, Bill, your, your family, y'all, y'all were here, planned on being here for six months. You'll have been here about a year when it's time to go. When we go back, how could we pray for your family? Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've had a really sweet season with y'all. <laughs> Whoa, look at that. Uh, nice. No, I, yeah. I was traveling through the Middle East last month and I kept doing my yes sirs, yes ma'ams. Yeah. And people were looking at me. But, uh, yeah, you could pray for that transition. Our kids have had a great season here at the church, uh, in the Belton schools, and just, yeah. The Lebanon that they actually grew up in has changed a lot, even in the last year. So praying for us in that transition uh, would, be a, would be a big thing. And then just us, as we go back, um, to really have God's eyes. And, and Lord, what are you doing? And uh, for us as, as individuals and as a team to to understand what he's doing and to walk with him in this season. Yeah. I, I, uh, one of the things that you guys need as well is, is support. And so the Bowers need, because of, of what has happened to the global economy, the Bowers need about a, a thousand dollars more monthly. So whether that's 50 people giving or 40 people giving $25 a month, whether that's 20 people giving $50 a month or 10 people giving $100 a month, they need about $1,000 more monthly to do the work they do in one of the most strategic regions in the world. So we've got a QR code with information about supporting their mission, but also back at the missions map, Bill is going to be there after service in that back hall. And and there's a bookmark. We've got these global outreach bookmarks. We're actually giving these away for free today. On the back of the bookmark, though, you've got that same QR code that'll take you directly to their giving page. It's got ways to pray for them. And then next Sunday evening, where they're living in Belton, they're going to have a come and go where you can learn more about their family and their ministry. Um, I'm going to see if I can do this without crying this time. I just want to uh, say just how much Temple Bible Church loves and respects uh, Bill and Christy Bowers and your kids as well, the sacrifice and service of your faith for over two decades to make much of Jesus Christ inspires us. We are honored and privileged to be the people that get to send you and support you 
and say welcome home when you come home for rest and rejuvenation. So we want to pray for you. If you want to extend your hands this way in agreement as we pray to launch the Bowers back out. God, we thank you for Bill and Christy. God, we thank you for their children, Lord. We thank you for Zacharias and Jonas and Annalena. God, we pray for your hand of grace on them. God, that as they go back to Lebanon, that you would go before them, that you would be their rear guard. God, that daily they would lift their eyes to you to see that you are their helper. God, you're strong and you're loving. You've been with them as they were in Lebanon before. You will be with them as they go back. And God, give them favor with people who need to know Jesus. Use their life and their words. Use their testimony to bring many to yourself among the Lebanese, among Syrian refugees, among others in their nation. God, I pray for unity among their team as you have people from many different nations working together in Christ. God, let the love that they have for one another be a light to the nations. And God, just as you raise them up to go, raise up more people in our body to give generously and to pray daily for your glory among the Lebanese. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you thank Bill and Christy again? Thank y'all. Love y'all. Well, we are in Ephesians chapter four today, and I want to tell you kind of what we're doing, and then we're going to watch a short video. So this summer, we are doing a series called A New Chapter, and each week we'll look at a new chapter. And the way we got these chapters is we ask staff spouses and elders and their spouses and, and ministry assistants and some of their spouses, what are your favorite chapters of the Bible? Now, my, my wife said, Chase, when I answered, they didn't tell me you were going to shoot a video of me. And I said, well, I didn't tell anyone that or they wouldn't have answered, Right. So what we did is we took video of these folks telling why they love these different chapters. And so we're going to start today with Mark, who leads worship with his wife, Haley, telling us why she loves Ephesians chapter four. So let's listen to Haley talk about Ephesians four. Ephesians four is one of my favorites because I think it paints a really good picture of what it looks like for those of us who walk in the grace of Jesus. It calls us to community, to walk in gentleness and humility, to love one another well. And I think part of that community is recognizing and affirming the gifts of the Spirit that have been given to those of us in the church. And as we do that, we can build one another up. So Ephesians chapter four, what a good encouraging word from Haley about walking in unity, about using our gifts to build one another up. That's what we are gonna talk about today as we talk about the charge and the challenge of the church, the charge being walk in unity, the challenge to grow toward maturity. And I think Ephesians four is a great place to start post-transition, post-pandemic in this new chapter in the life of Temple Bible Church. Well, why Ephesians 4? See, Ephesians 1, we find out that God chooses and saves and seals a people 
for his glory. And these people are sustained through prayer and the power of God. In Ephesians 2, we learn that in Christ, we've been brought from death to life. We've been given new works and God's bringing together Jews and Gentiles. So legalism and racism have no place in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 3, we find out that this is a mystery that's been hidden, that the Gentiles were coming in, their fellow heirs with God's people of the promises God made to Abraham and that when Jews and Gentiles are unified together, that it confounds the spiritual forces of evil in the world. So in Ephesians chapter four, Paul's gonna call people to unity and to maturity. Now I've got about 27 minutes, so y'all are gonna need to listen fast as I talk fast, okay? But in Ephesians four, to kind of set the stage, first century, in the Roman Empire, in ancient Greece, it was really nothing like our culture today. They were inventing new sorts of sexual sin, and the devaluing of life ran rampant. Jews and Romans carried racist attitudes and practices towards one another. There was licentiousness on one hand and legalism on the other. Paul, as he preached Christ crucified to Gentiles in Ephesus, would have had one group calling him a closed-minded bigot and others who thought he was part of the woke mob. It's hard to imagine what it must have been like in that first century. So knowing this, Paul says, be unified and transformed in Christ. It has to be the crucified and risen Jesus that brings this all together by his spirit for the praise and glory of the Father. This is the sort of unity that confounds people, that they take note of, that they want to learn of this Jesus who saves. So the charge is walk in unity. The challenge is mature in Christ. So let's read the first few verses of Ephesians 4 together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you who are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So God, we stop to confess, you are over all, you're sovereign, you are through all, you are in all, you are at work in the world and we need to be your people, unified and mature in Christ. So as we look in your word today, would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul says, this is a big deal. I'm urging you. I'm not just asking, I'm urging, and I'm asking as a prisoner of the Lord. He's in prison for his faith, writing to this church he loves, and he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Well, that walk in a manner worthy is gonna be synonymous with walk in unity. Well, how do you do this? Paul says you do it with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and love. Now I said we've got 27 minutes, we've got 32 verses, so basically we're just gonna read Ephesians chapter four, okay? 
Humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the things it takes to be a unified people because we will have all kinds of opinions that aren't the gospel, all kinds of things we think about that aren't the gospel, and we are going to be sinful people interacting with sinful people. So if we're to be unified, it'll take a lot of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I asked myself this week a a question, what does it mean to bear with one another in love? And it's those last two words that I feel like give me difficulty. Maybe you would ask this question in your small group or in your family this week, this question, what's the difference in bearing with one another in annoyance and bearing with one another in love? I feel like I'm really, really good at bearing with people in annoyance, right? People are driving me crazy, but I'll, I'll bear with them, right? What's the difference in bearing with people in annoyance and in bearing with people in love? Well, I think the difference is it takes humility, gentleness, and patience. And Paul, Paul says that people who are humble, gentle, and patient are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. If we're to bear with one another in love, we will have to be eager for unity that's in the spirit, eager for the bond of peace. See, all these things that are present in people that are eager to maintain unity and peace are things that are not natural to us. Humility, gentleness, and patience, those are works of the spirit. And if you think, I don't know that I've ever had bear with people in love, it might be that you've never lived in community. Henry Nouwen says community Christian community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. This sort of unity is rooted in Jesus and it's only rooted in Jesus. We're told that there's one body and one spirit. How many churches are in Temple and Belton? What would you guess if you had to guess? The answer is one. There's one church. There's one church. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've been given grace so that Christ would be magnified by a unified people. God's given us gifts. He's over all, he's through all, he's in all. That doesn't mean everything is God. We're not pantheists. But it also means that God's not distant. God is sovereign. And God is also right here with us. He cares about the affairs of our lives. And he's given us gifts for his grace. And these gifts are rooted in the resurrected and ascended Christ. Verse nine, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now that's a really hard text there that Christ descended to the lower parts of the earth and he ascended into the heavens. Theologians have argued about that for centuries, what that means. I was expecting Haley to answer that. She didn't, but because we don't have a ton of time, I'd tell you that's a great study 
It's a great study, but what we're going to see is that God has given us gifts through the Christ who has risen from the dead and ascended to be with the Father. And Ephesians tells us that he's given us these gifts for a reason. Verse 11 says that he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He gave spiritual gifts, these and many others, to people so that the church would be equipped. He gave people who would write the scripture, people who would have words that we need in appropriate time. He gave people who would share Christ with others really well and pastors and teachers so that we would be equipped for works of service. Now, when we came to TBC, when my family came here, it was 20 years ago, and when we came, TBC was like a breath of fresh air because the church was equipping people for ministry. One of the first meetings I went to to learn about Temple Bible Church, one of the elders asked this question. He said, who in here is a full-time minister of the gospel? And people were expecting, I think, the answer to that to be Gary or Danny or Shannon. But the elder's response was everyone in here is a minister of the gospel. And we had come from a church where the pastor was expected to kind of do everything and Sunday was just a spectator sport for people. Now hear me, as, as pastors, we have jobs to do. You all are very generous and you give money as stewards of the grace of God that employs us to do work, but that chief work is to equip you for ministry because we all minister together. I, I heard this illustrated really well in my mind this week. I was talking to a friend and he was telling me about his son he and his wife had sent his son to Austin. There's this place that I was just learning about called Johnson O'Connor testing. And so I asked how it go and they're telling me about their kid and how it went. And so Johnson O'Connor is this group that they test aptitudes, what kids are good at, what might be great majors or, or great uh, careers. And so they sent their, their son down and he goes and is visiting with the, the lady who administers the test. And he said, we're, we're asking how the test went that night at, at dinner. And his wife asked his son, so did they ask you anything about your career? And he said, well, kind of. I mean, they asked me what I want to be when I grow up. And the wife says, well, what did you tell them? He said, well, I looked at them and said, do you mean my career? And the lady says to the kid, well, yeah, what else did I mean? And he goes, oh, well, what I want to be when I grow up is someone who magnifies Jesus. Now, probably what I do for a living will matter, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as if I magnify Jesus. I want to be a person as a Christ follower who glorifies God. Mom says, what did she say? He said, well, she just smiled and nodded and said, okay, that's nice. But I thought, here's a, here's a kid who just absolutely gets what life is about. That your vocation, my vocation, whatever we do is to magnify Jesus. Educator, attorney, physician, nurse, business person, stay-at-home mom, you name it. Our role in life is to magnify Jesus. We're to be equipped for ministry, to build up one another as the body of Christ. Well, why? Why is this true? We do this, how long? 
Do we as ministers equip you for service and how long do you build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? In other words, all of life. People ask often, what's the next big thing for the church? And I'm here to tell you that this is it. That we equip the saints for works of service to build up the body of Christ and we grow together and we meet new believers that are new in Christ or people that are far from Christ and they come to know Christ and they grow in Christ and all of a sudden they're helping others grow in Christ and then those people are helping others grow in Christ and just over and over and over. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because if we don't, we're gonna be tossed about. We'll just be tossed about. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You get in the waves and you can just be tossed about. And Paul says, that's not God's will for you. Don't be like that. Don't be tossed about by the waves and by every wind of doctrine. John Piper says it this way. He says, if you're going to swim in the oceans of culture, swim like a dolphin and not like a jellyfish. See, jellyfish, they just go with the flow. They're tossed about wherever the waves go, but dolphins cut through tidal currents and swim toward the truth and swim toward holiness and heaven in spite of cultural tides. He says, there is no if, like if we're going to live in these cultural tides. There's no if about it. We don't have a choice. We do swim in cultural oceans of this planet. To be alive is to be a culture shaped by the world. So Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, Piper says. So he was very aware, my disciples are stuck. They're in this world and they need help. They need protection. They need to be able to swim like a dolphin. As you swim in the culture, be a dolphin that cuts through the currents, not a jellyfish that goes with a flow. But then also you gotta look out for people who maybe are young in the faith and they just can't swim. So my family was at the beach last week. We got some friends that allow us to use a cabin this awesome time, uh, but there's a rip current warning. And so we're brashing from Texas and we're not really sure what that means. We think we can go out there, right? But I have a, a kid um, who weighs about a gallon of milk, okay? <laughs> He's just tiny. And I, and I tell him and his brother, it's about his size. Hey, don't go any further than waist deep. Dad'll be right here. And, and I just see the waves growing and they're wanting to ride on boogie boards thinking they're gonna be the next champion on the North Shore, you know. And, uh, and I see this wave coming and, uh, and it just rolls my little guy over. It just tosses him about. He's bleeding a little bit. He's hurting. He's got water in places he did not want to have water. He coughs all that up. Uh, and then he's just foolish enough to go, can I do that again? <laughs> no, you're gonna get out where those sharks are if you're not careful. See, sometimes it's to swim like a dolphin. Sometimes it's to say to somebody, hey, where you're going is dangerous. You gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. Why do we not wanna be tossed about? How do we not get tossed about? 
we speak the truth in love. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together this unity word, every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The truth leads to love. So Paul says this thing that we have a really difficult time with, that we're to speak the truth in love. Some people have no problem speaking the truth, but they have a problem doing it in love, right? They can speak the truth, they're really good at it, but it's without gentleness, it's without patience, it's without humility. They're not bearing with people, it's not self-sacrificial in nature. They speak the truth, but it doesn't reflect the love of Jesus, so really nobody listens. Other people want to be so loving that they just don't want to say any sort of, have any sort of truth claim, but but we speak the truth in love. There's truth. The Bible's a foundation of truth because it's God's word and things that God says are true are true. Things that God says are false are false. That's the foundation of truth for the church. It's the foundation of truth for the world as well, even when they don't know it. So we have to figure out a way to speak the truth in love so that the body grows, that we grow up in Christ. We are mature. My definition of Christian maturity, I got, I was a a junior in college. It was my second junior year in college. I was gonna have two more after that. I was teaching Sunday school with a much wiser, older guy and we were teaching 11th grade boys and I'll never forget Dr. Krim, this guy in Beaumont, Texas, asked the boys, what's your definition of maturity? And this 11th grader named Dale Shaw said, I think it's consistency. It's just somebody who's always the same. They're consistent in what they do. And, And that's what we're looking for, this consistent picture of Christ. The charge is unity, the challenge is maturity. A body that's building itself up in love. Well, how do we do this? Well, there's things that we have to stop and things that we start doing because the Spirit of God is inside us. Paul says, I say this and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And he just describes the life of Gentiles, verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They're not spirit-led, they're headed down a road that's going to harm them and those around them and everybody sees that futility of running after things like money, sex, power, and satisfaction in the world, and it just falls apart. It's ugly. We've seen it happen. It doesn't go well. It's futile. Paul says, don't live like that. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, Because of their hard hearts, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ. Why would we not walk like they do? Because that's not how we learn Christ. That's not how we learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus that you have to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires 
and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and truth. Why would you put off the old self? Because it's not fitting, it's inappropriate. If you're a man like me who has amazing fashion sense, maybe on a Sunday morning, you've walked out of the closet with something entirely appropriate to wear as the people of God meet and your wife says something very gently, patiently, and humbly like, surely you're not wearing that to church. I just go, no, 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 I was just making sure it still fit. What do you think I should wear, right? Well, you don't wear that. It's not fitting. It's not fitting to put that on if you're gonna meet with the people of God, right? So Paul says, put off these things that don't fit as the people of God and put on things that match what the people of God ought to look like. I learned spiritual lessons a lot in my closet, right? Put on the new self to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in true holiness. It's this transformed people that the world looks at and go, oh, well, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Oh, that, that looks different. That looks distinct. And so then Paul just kind of goes through, we all as believers have sins that we're, we've died to and we're dying to, right? We all have tendencies. People ask me all the time, do you think people are born with certain sinful tendencies? I go, I know I was, my goodness, yes. So Paul just walks through some of these with the church in Ephesus. He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. For some of us in the body of Christ, we just have a tendency to struggle with honesty. And Paul says, don't do that. You might have used to have been a liar, but that's not who you are in Christ. Speak truth to your neighbor as one who's been bought. Then he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He says, if you're angry, don't be angry long. People do all kinds of things with this verse to excuse their anger. You know, see, you can be angry and not sin. It says be angry and don't sin. After all, Jesus got angry, right? News flash, you're not Jesus. Neither am I. And in context, here's what Paul says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That we, we are just given to these tendencies that if we're angry long, it'll turn to sin fast. I'm sure you've never experienced that, but I have, right? If you're angry long, it'll turn to sin fast. So if you're angry, don't let the sun go down on it. Do what you've got to do to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to go and forgive, to overlook an offense. Don't stay angry long. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, I love this verse, and I'll tell you, there are lots of kind of Christian financial planning groups that get the first two parts of this right, and they just utterly miss the second part. Let the thief no longer steal. Yes, check. 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Yes, check. That's a Christian ethic of work. We work hard. We don't steal. If you used to steal, if that was a sin you struggle with, don't steal anymore. Work hard with your own hands. Now, here's where they diverge from Scripture. And let me say it again in case you didn't hear it. They diverge from Scripture. Because what they'll do is they'll go so that you can get wealthy, so that you can give. Well, what if I'm not wealthy? If I'm not wealthy, Lee, do I not have to give? I just get a free pass? Well, the widow gave all she had. And that's where they diverge. No, you labor doing honest work with your own hands so that you can be generous. So that you can be generous. You can give to those in need. Listen, we don't talk about tithing very much at Temple Bible Church because you guys are really, really generous. We see our budgets met. We're able to do the ministries that we need to do. I, I want to tell you a story, though, about a, a guy a long time ago. He and I were talking about tithing, and he was going to this passage uh, what we're talking about is kind of neither here nor there, but I'll tell you, we're talking about do you tithe, do you give to the church before tax or after tax? And he goes, well, obviously it's after tax. The Bible says render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God's what is God's. Caesar comes first, then God. And I, I'm listening to that going, man, this guy doesn't understand this passage any more than the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to. See, they... They ask, should we pay a tax to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, whose inscription is on that coin? It says it's Caesar's. It's Caesar's. And so he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, the coin. Give to God what is God's, whose image is on you. The, the message is that all we are and all we have actually belong to God. Wait a second, Chase, I work hard for my money. I believe you do, but it's God's. It's all God's. We're stewards of it. And so Christian ethic stewardship is not gain, gain, gain. It's work so that you can give to those who have in need. And hear me, enjoy your life as you're generous. I, I, I do. Last night, my boys fished and they tore up all my beetle spins catching bass. So I got online and bought beetle spins I don't need so we can catch more fish, right? Enjoy your life and enjoy it generously so that you can give to those who, who have need. And then he says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as the occasion that it may give grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. Now I want you to do something here. Paul uses a word here that's really, really important in the Greek. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only. How do we talk? But only. Do you know what the Greek word for only means? Only. Can you imagine what the world would be like if the church only spoke those things which were good for building up as fit the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear only. I believe we would have less words. Well, why do you do this? Because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Remember Ephesians 1, chosen, saved, sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul comes back to anger again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. 
along with all malice. So Paul, this, this presses on us because some of you, I could name the name of a, of, a, of a particular individual and you would think, I don't want to be in their presence. It might be somebody you know real well. It might be somebody you don't know at all. But for all of us, there might be a different individual and you think, man, I never, ever want to be in their presence. Put them away from me. And Paul, Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Why? Because we've been forgiven. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why do we live such different lives, unified and mature in Christ? It's only by God's grace, it's only by the power of his spirit, it's because we have been forgiven. Our sins are many. And Jesus died and rose from the dead to take the punishment for our sins and give us a new life, a transformed life in Christ. So what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter four is walk in the freedom of who you really are. Walk in the freedom of who you really are and the world will be astounded at a unified and mature church in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you would call us your children, we are not Jesus, but you've adopted us as yours and given us an inheritance. You've redeemed us, Jesus. You've sealed us by your Holy Spirit. So God, help us. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we've been called. Help us to walk with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that Christ might be magnified and that we might be filled with joy as a maturing, unified people in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.